Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Quell Jackson, and you're tuning in to Athletes Unplugged. We have a very special guest today. He is a three-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro. He was the 12th pick of the 2005 NFL Draft. And in his first three years, this guy, Sean Merriman, was able to generate 39 and a half sacks, more than anyone in that three-year span during that time. And you can also catch Sean Merriman on his own podcast at Lights Out with Sean Merriman. And he's also, if you want his, his apparel, his shirts, his hats, uh, fitness equipment, you can go online and shop at shoplightsout.com. Listen, this guy's a jack of all trades. Not only what, what we're going to get into now, he's also a co-founder of Lights Out Extreme Fighting League. Sean, what's going on, bro? How you doing? What's up, dude? How you doing, bro? Man, I'm good, man. It took me a couple times to get this intro, but I finally got it, though. I'll tell you that. A third time to charm, man. We know that. <laughs> so so uh, we talked a few hours ago, and you recently told me you made a move from Cali to Vegas. Uh, walk me through that. What what was going through? You know, last year was was COVID. It shook everyone by storm. Uh, really shook up a lot of different households. What what went into that decision to, for you to move from from Cali to Vegas? Well, you know, first off, man, um, you know, being the my, the reason for being in Los Angeles and LA for the first place is is I always mm -hmm. had this uh, these opportunities on 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 TV, right? These uh, entertainment right. opportunities. So for me, that's why I was there, and you know. I've been thinking about it for a while because um, to make my home base somewhere different where I have more space, more opportunity. Obviously, the taxes are, are nice here, too. I can't. Ooh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I can't deny that part, but um, I can always travel to L.A. I think the pandemic for me just it, it, it really pushed me over because um, when everything shut down, the world stopped. And I, I just believe and I'm not going to get into politics. I just believe that it's going to sure. take some time. Uh, for everything to get back normal. So while it's not normal, um, you know, I wanted to make a move to Las Vegas, which right. is the fight capital of, of yeah, the world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, me being in a fight business now, it's, it's right in my backyard. I feel most comfortable here into what I'm doing now. Right. So that's what I was thinking of when you told me you made the move. It's like, man, I want to really dive into that lights out extreme fighting league, man. What, like what I knew you were always, listen, super competitive, uh, you played a contact combative sport. When you made that transition, when you retired, was this was this something that you always envisioned yourself being a part of, or was this something that you just kind of fell into after retirement? You, you know, it's a quote. You know, it's crazy. It's because obviously, I blew, I grew up in a boxing family. Mo both my uh, uncles were um, you know professional boxers, and so I grew up around it. It was oh, a lot okay. of big time boxers from the D.C. Maryland Virginia area. Uh, so like growing up, when we had problems at cookouts or family function, it was like, go get the gloves. <laughs> like that, that right, was it. Right, it was right. like, you know, and it wasn't even just me or a cousin. Like my grandmother was like, yo, go. She's sitting there at the cookout watching, you know, watching our, the little cousins fight or, or, right, or, or right. whatever uncles, uncle and aunts. And so I kind of just fell into it anyway. And, and, you know, I've had my run ins in college, you know, and <laughs> it just yeah, being around, yeah. I've, I've always been, um, you know, someone who was into the, uh, you know, combat sports and fighting um, genre to begin with. And fast forward, you know, I got drafted by the Chargers in 2005 and um, MMA was was coming onto the scene. Obviously, at the right. time, UFC was uh, getting big. And so I just wanted to go try MMA out to get better with football. Um Jay Glazer over at Fox Sports, they said, yo, I want you, I want to get, I want you to get better with your hands, eyes, and, and being able to open your hips and go around those uh, offensive tackles. 
Yeah. So I said, okay, cool, no problem. I went in there and tried it out. The first day that I walked in, and this was in 2006, the first day I walked in there, Jay Glazer was to the right, and Randy Couture was on the left. Oh, man. So I'm, oh, I'm man. looking at Jay Glazer. I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm not about to fight no Randy Couture today. Like, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> right. I'm nice. You know, I'm okay, but I'm not getting right, down like right. that. So I just stayed with it, man, and, 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 and kind of fast forward, um, you know, almost 15 years later. Uh, That's impressive. Know, now I got – now I got lights out extreme fighting. Yeah, that's impressive because I know you had you always had the lights out brand. You always had a great football nickname. And to segue that and parlay that and to monetize it into something that you're passionate about. Listen, a lot of people talk about it. A lot of people say, well, I'm into a passion. You were able to create it. Tell me about how did you actually build up the courage and meet the right people in place to actually bring out lights out extreme fighting and create a lead? Because I want to know, listen, I'm a, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of UFC, mixed martial arts and all of it. But I don't know the small little intricacies about it. So can a person like myself, I was on your website earlier and I was looking at, OK, is it do you have to be a professional fighter? Can anyone from any sport come in? You promote them, you set up the fight. How does that actually work? Well, it, it's a couple of things. So what happened was it was a local promotion in Bur- based in Burbank. Um, and this is, this is in 2017, 2000, actually 2018. And so when I went there, I saw that they had a small built-in fan base, right? And right. What, I, what I looked to go do is make it bigger. I, I try to find the smaller companies, or, or underperforming companies. And God forbid, you know, I walked into a company that I actually have a true passion for, something I actually right. wanted to do for my life. Like this is... To me, it's not even work, man. Like I, I do this. Sure. This is this is I wake up, I train three, four days a week, I spar once or twice a week. This is actually a lifestyle for me. So to be around it is fun. Um, right. so two parts. You know, we got a lot of these under these uh you know, smaller fighters that come from these areas. We we give them the opportunity to turn amateur. They obviously they, they go and they train at wherever gym they at, whatever part of the country they at. And then they come sure. and take amateur fight and then turn pro. But one thing about Lights Out, Quell, is, is what we've been looking at is these former athletes from other sports transitioning over when they sure. done. Right. You know, that's right. that's been, you know, we got a bunch of great fighters. These these guys are beasts, men and women. They're, they're beasts and they train their asses off and stuff like that. Me, I just know what the feelings like when you're done playing a sport and you're done sure. competing and you don't sure. have that next step that that we all edgy, man. We. We, we sure, ran out yeah. to 80,000 people, and right. now we're trying to look for that next thing to feel that type of way. So I encourage all former athletes, no matter football, basketball, hockey, rugby, to when they get done with their, uh, you know, their respective sport, is that they pick up a, some kind of combat sport as a discipline. Right. So that, that was going to lead. You actually answered my next question I was going to ask you. You're actually setting up a gateway for that transitional phase because I'm actually going through it myself. I'm, I'm teetering towards that five-year mark of being retired. And just trying to figure out, you know, you do you do a couple investments here, you uh, you know, you mingle with the right people. Uh, this is actually really good, and I think that's what separates you from these other leaders. Like you invite former athletes to come in. If you feel like you can get in the, the octagon and you can throw some punches and take a punch, then here I am. I'm Sean Merriman. Come come join the team. So I think that's very important, and a lot of people really. Uh, don't do a really deep dive into that. And I think we as former athletes need to create, if we can, like you have a platform for the guys to to be able to transition. You know, that's what we did. That's what we did. It was a combative sport or what have you. So uh, I'll say this. So I remember speaking of boxing, right? Speaking of gloves, um, I go, you just sparked a memory in my head in Maryland. You know, as freshmen, 
you know, we had to come in and I don't know who you actually spar, but I know I had to spar, you know, I'm a freshman. I had to spar Leon Joe. And if for, if for anyone out there, let me say, listen, Sean and I we were college teammates and this guy, Leon Joe, was pound for pound, probably one of the strongest individuals ever he's to walk in the weight room. Yes. Yeah, he, yes. Yeah. And so I had the opportunity to spar with this dude. Here I am soaking wet, 215, 210. But I put the gloves on. I never put on a pair of gloves before in my life. And I thought I was tough. But I remember, you know, barely grazing his cheek. And all I knew was like 10 or 15 different blows just coming at me. But uh, that was a moment that I was I was fearful for my I feared for my life at that point. But it was also the introduction into picking the gloves back up because now tomorrow, for instance, I'm training with a, a former you know uh, Hall of Fame uh, boxing champion and Israel Wynn. She's coming over, so I'm a fan of boxing, and that was the first time it was introduced to me. But uh, who did you actually spar, or did you spar anybody your freshman year? I don't, I don't think I was fights. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that, that, was, that, that was put on by the 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 upper the veterans, the upperclassmen. Um, I should say that. Did you did you have that account? I don't think I had. I think that was an inside linebacker thing that y'all had going on. Uh, for us, we we didn't really have much because you know Jamal Cochran and those guys they what they wasn't <laughs> like that. You know, I had you know John Condo, right, right. Um, you know a lot, lot of those guys, Leroy. They wasn't you know they wasn't really like that. Um, you had right, some. You right. had maybe some, I talk too much. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. They, yeah, maybe they, I talk they, too much and they put me in the fire. Yeah. Probably. If anybody was, if anybody's gonna get put in the fire, it was gonna be me coming in. You know, being the hot shot. No, but but, 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 but but nobody messing with you though, because I remember. It sparks another memory. I remember, uh, you know, you you was in a league of your own, bro. Like, they messed with all the freshmen, and then lights out, Sean was over here. They ain't fooled with you. Because for the very first, uh, what was that, in training camp, when uh, we all had to introduce ourselves, you know, like anything else. You say your name, your position, where you're from. But, uh, you know, I talked about it on your podcast. You know, like, you decided to tell everybody you was going to be leaving school in three years. And you was going to be a top draft pick. And it came true. So let me ask you, was that – did you know most of the guys on the team or was that something you had already planned? It's like, listen, I'm telling these folks I'm going to be out of here. Because it, it takes an extreme amount of confidence to walk into a new situation, uh, new environment. Listen, you were you were all everything in, in college. And to walk into Maryland, which was down the street from me, that was big shoes to fill. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know what it was for me. Obviously, I was a cock, you know, cocky, you know, mother, whatever back then. You, you but, was confident, you know. Yeah, I was, I was confident. <laughs> but you know, you know what breeded my confidence was my work, and then also too, I had a you know chip on my shoulder from you know where I came from, and I was down to school, uh, right. you know, down down the street from the school. So I, I, you know, I just I had a little chip on my shoulder anyway. The other thing was is that you know I got the kind of the privilege to come in and meet like LeVar Arrington and Ray Lewis. So I was, right, I was around right. those guys right, already. Right. right. So when they, I mean, I, I'm talking about if they went somewhere, I was going with them, right? If right. they did something, I was around them. So, you know, being and seeing that at an early age, you know, I was like, you know what? I, I'm here. I, I feel like I can do this. Right. And so right, that, right. For, that for me was kind of the breeding of confidence. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, <laughs> Some people, so the thing is, some people think a lot of stuff, and then I was just willing to say <laughs> right, it because it, right, that, right. that was really the only difference. A lot of people thought, uh, yeah. real super highly, absolutely, of 
Absolutely. A lot of people did. You you thought she was the baddest, or this person thought they were the best, or this person thought they was the fastest, but nobody will come out and say it. I think right. that um by me kind of manifesting that in my own mind, I think that I was I was saying it to hold myself accountable. Right. 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 I I, I think that because if, if you put yourself in that platform, you let it be known, you can never let yourself slip, right? You can never right. dog right. sprints, you can never, you know, not go. Yeah, hard. you worked hard. You worked hard. I tell you that. You were one of the hard you and Vernon. I tell you, listen, I was trying to just keep up, but between you and Vernon, I've never been around two guys who competed on the field, off the field, in the weight room, in the class, not more so the classroom. We're gonna leave that out. But everything yeah, else. <laughs> Everywhere else, you guys competed y'all tail off, man. So what what type of – you mentioned LeVar Arrington and Ray Lewis. You know, to have an influence like that growing up as a child and them basically being in your backyard. LeVar was it with the Washington football team at the time, and clearly, you know, Ray Lewis was in Baltimore. What type of influence was that? Because I remember being this young, quiet kid from – obedient little, you know, kid from Florida. And when I, you know – I get around Sean Mayer, I'm like, what the hell? This is a grown-ass man. You know, so your, your, your mentor is on a different level, man. Can you can you talk about just, just the effects that guys like that would have on a young person's career because you were extremely successful? You know what, Quill, what it did was it, um, it it opened your eyes up to a lot of stuff because I don't know, you know, about you, but where I'm from, ain't no pro athletes was around us. Like, we, right. I didn't have I didn't have an outreach. Nobody, no, not no pro athlete came back and talked to our kids. Cam, nobody, no pro athlete came back to my neighborhoods or anything like that. Because right. when that when that doesn't, and this is this is why I go back so much to you know Maryland. While I'm doing my coat drive, while I'm doing this, and I yes. stay around people because I might just by being around them or them seeing me around or doing certain thing or just. Being in the in the presence of being able to see somebody operate might change right. the course of their life because that's what happened in a sense with with Levar and Ray, right? right? I seen what it was to be a pro athlete. I seen right. how they worked. I seen right. what they eat, you know, with what they ate, where they ate at. I seen the places they went. Right. Um, right. You know, the reason why I bought my my first G wagon is because Levar Arrington. You know, Levar, yeah. yeah. my sophomore year in high school. Rolled up on our field, like j- literally drove up on my our football field right before the game. I'm warming wow. up, I'm hyping up the team. I look over, and Lavar yeah. Arrington got his G wagon in the corner. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, man, you know what? One day I, I want a G wagon. I, I wanted to go. Right. I wanted to go get the G wagon, but you don't think any of that stuff is possible until you are around it. So that's you can why touch now it and for feel me, it. Right. Until right. you touch it, do you know it's you see it on we. Growing up, you know, we watched BET and Rap City and the in the basement and right. all this other stuff. You don't know that any of these things are possible until you see it. And and I right. seen it at an early age. And and that between the chip on my shoulder, me being raised in, in the environment I was raised in, and now getting a chance to see Ray Lewis, see LeVar Arrington. Now right. you're like packaging all this stuff together. And that's why I was, you know, kind of had that mindset at an early age. Right. Yeah, so you, you speak about the influence that they had on you, but I can tell you this, the guys that when you left school early, 2005, when you were drafted 12th overall, that year when you won Defensive Rookie of the Year, all of us, that gave us confidence that we could not only still do what we were doing in college, but we could actually be successful and Defensive Rookie of the Year. We watched you like a hawk, and you gave us motivation. Like the time you came back before, I believe it was before the draft, you came, you showed up, rolled up in the SL 500. That to me was everything. I had never been in a, a luxury car 
that expensive before in my life. And to the point you made about actually being able to to see and experience and see what Ray Lewis and LeVar, how they operated, how they were pros, you did that for us. Like, you were my motivator. I'm like, right. man, if Sean can do it, I know I can do it. I know I can that's do crazy. it. And that's the attitude you should have. Yeah. Man. But, you, but you know, to, to your point, you know, if you're never around it, you don't think it's possible, right? right. I mean, right. it's just it's just what it is. And, and, and fortunately, and I was in a situation to be blessed to see that early on, right? And, and like in high school, so I walked in with this, you know, I had this pro mentality as a college player. Just like right, I had the pro right, because of it, right. you know. Man, that, that that was that was. So you bring up. I want to uh, go back to a point you made, but you know, I definitely agree with that point that you had a professional mentality at the at the collegiate level. Do you remember? And I didn't get it at the time. So when you were at Maryland, you were considered a DN. Is that right? And yeah. you made a fuss. You made a fuss. To Coach Simo and everybody that to change your position. If we technically ran a three-four, you want to be listed as an outside linebacker. Like to me at the time, I had no idea. And that was on the cusp of New England winning championships, this new three-four defense being what it was. And yep. you were a six-four, two sixty-pound linebacker, ran a four-six and bench, you know, 25 times, 225. So you were on the cutting edge of that. I feel like that was a credit to the the professional athletes you were around and, and just kind of the toolage that you picked up that you were you you had underneath these guys. At the time it didn't make sense to me. I'm like, why is this guy making all this fuss about it? But you were always had that that you always the next step ahead. And so I say that to say uh obviously you got lights out extreme fighting going on. Now, and, and then and then Quell, I want just just add on that real quick. And yeah. what that did was I don't know if you remember at the con at the pro day how many mm. teams were out there when I was when I was working out because mm-hmm. they had me as a tweener, right? They right. were coming I out there to see that. me as off as an outside linebacker, but I had Dick right. Vermeil and all these people who was looking at me at playing. So that I didn't plan on it working out just like that, but it actually you, it did. Yeah, because, it was perfect. Yeah, yeah. It, it couldn't have. You couldn't have. I mean, it was like you were so far ahead of the curve, man. So far ahead of the curve. So. You got Lights Out Extreme um, Fighting League. You have, you know, uh, you have all these accolades, right? You get to the NFL, your defensive rookie of the year. Uh, your second year, I believe, is 2007 you, or 2006. You had 17 sacks in 12 games. Like, how did all of that – I go back to this. You know, you've been a guy that's been very – anything you've touched has turned into gold, right? And – and it has to come from someplace. And listen, I won't talk about it unless you want to, but I know some of your, your you, you had a traumatic, you know, childhood in a sense where you dealt with, no one should have to deal with a, a family fire. You've dealt with three family fires. And I feel like that added to that motivation, that desire to commit to something and to see better because a lot of people in that situation don't come out of it. I guess my question to you is what makes Sean Merriman and most individuals that would have had a, a rocky, you know, experience as a child. Man, I, I, I'll tell you, um, you know, a lot of stuff can happen to you, good or bad, whether it's a positive influence or negative influence as a as a child to start to mold the person mm-hmm. that you become. Sean, I want to go back to something you said um, a little while ago when you talked about I think it, it deserves a lot more credit is the coat drive that you 
that you had been a part of at University of Maryland. I think I was I was trying to find it online where I think you've had the co-drop for over 17 years. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, that that's something that, you know, you what you've given this community where you're from, uh, you know, we're in the DMV area where you're from the DMV area. And it means a lot just to have a coat. And that's something that I know has been very dear to your heart and something that you've been very passionate about. Uh, when did that all start for you? You know, it started, man, um, you know, as we talked a little bit about, you know, my childhood and, and us losing losing uh, our places um, due to fires. And so the first fire that happened when I was a kid, um, my babysitter at the time, I think I was 10, 10, 10 years old. My babysitter at the time had witnessed a murder um, in the neighborhood. And so the the guys who actually had committed the crime had had. Um, thought that they're going to throw a Molotov of uh, cocktail bomb oh, into right. our glass window. So, you know, I'm 10, 11 years old. I don't know what's going on. Right, I just hear, right. you know, we hear a big, um, a big commotion and flames everywhere. So we go running oh, out. Oh, man. Unfortunately, man, um, at 10, the, uh, we all made it out, but a, a four-year-old girl had burned in her sleep right there on the bed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, oh, you know, like when you when you see uh, stuff like that, it kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely traumatized. You never get over right. anything like that. Right. Um, but I remember the feeling afterwards. You know, mm -hmm. we we um, the apartment complex, we didn't have any money. So they moved us into a uh, uh, we went to a shelter first. We went to a shelter and we, we slept in a car because it was a couple of times we showed up at the shelter. And they had literally closed the door in our faces because they have a time mm -hmm. and a cutoff and they'll have an amount of beds. So mm -hmm. we end up going to sleep in the car. And I just remember how damn cold it was. And I'll never forget mm -hmm. that feeling. And so my sweet right. me and my sister got on. We got three, four sweaters on. We got gloves, four pair of jeans and sweatpants. I mean, we put on what we could. Mm -hmm. And then we end up going to a motel, um, motel six and motel eight. It was right across <laughs> from Andrews Air Force Base, but it was uh Right down yeah. Andrews Road. And it was when I tell yeah. you Allentown Road, when I tell you it was terrible, uh, yeah. it was it was absolute the worst. So when you have those traumatic experiences, you're like, OK, how how can I what can I do to make sure that nobody else feel like this? And right. so I, I started it thinking that we'll get a couple coats my uh, my sophomore mm -hmm. year, uh, you know, sophomore year in Maryland. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we got on I got on ESPN and we started to promote it. Next, thing you know, mm -hmm. uh you know, the basketball team came out. You know, I think y'all know. Yeah, I think yeah, I came out. Yeah, a lot of y'all yeah. were there. A lot of y'all mm -hmm. came out and supported, man. 2,500 right. coats, man, my first time right. out. That's amazing. And, and so from that point on, I just kept on and kept on kept on. And I think we're a little under 30,000 coats in 17 years, wow. man. So wow. That's, it, that's, it, that's amazing. Cool. That That is amazing, man. I, I tell you, between you and Vernon, uh, you know, Vernon has a, a, a Vernon day here in March 12th and here in DC, but the impact you've made from, I remember that. I remember the sophomore year when you you decided to do it in college. And again, I go back to, you were always a step, a few steps ahead of everyone else. And again, a guy like myself, a guy like Will Kershaw, a guy like Chris Choice, all the guys that we used to roll with sat back and watched like, man, this guy is really on another level. So to be a part of that, to help you be a part of it, I remember, the academic staff being a part of it and still being a part of it to this day. You know, yeah. it's something that they look forward to uh, of doing and sharing that moment with you. And I think it's, you deserve your applause for that. And your roles is why you still here, man. No, Thank that's you. big. So let me shift gears for a second. But because you're such a, you know, philanthropist and entrepreneur and what have you, 
I got to ask you, was there any NASCAR going on when you were a young kid? Like, how did you get into that? You know, you, 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 I love I get the, you know, the segue from football to, 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 you know, extreme fighting and this, that and the other. But how in the hell did you land on NASCAR, which I appreciate, by the way, you actually I'm actually more involved in it because of you, because I know someone who's involved. And I was like, OK, maybe I should give it a shot. You know, what's crazy. Uh, so so growing up like back in PG County, Maryland, um, got, like it was cool back in the day to wear the Tims and where everybody <laughs> had on the NASCAR jackets. <laughs> so. Um, we we knew about like we knew about Dale Earn, Earnhardt. We knew mm-hmm. about like you know um, <laughs> Jeff Gordon and some of the guys who've been around forever, right? Mm-hmm. So we knew about the stars. And I used to love Mario Andretti too when I was growing up as a kid. Mario yeah. Andretti was yeah, like, yeah. He obviously was <laughs> in Formula One, but um, right. he was another one growing up. So fast forward 2008, they had me to come out to be the Grand Marshal at the uh, Font- oh, yeah. Fontana races out here in California, right? Right, right. I go out there, mind you, the only thing I know about NASCAR, I watched it on TV. I got a little NASCAR <laughs> toy set growing up. I knew everybody rocked the, rocked the Timberlands and, and the NASCAR jackets back in the day, right? So I'm like, okay, cool. I know a little bit about it. But right. when I tell you, I walked there, and there was 30-some thousand, maybe 40,000 people, and mm-hmm. they announced my name as I was walking up on, on the ladder, and the crowd went crazy because what I, what I realized at that moment, a lot of NASCAR fans were football fans. Okay. okay. So as 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 people want to call it redneck and hillbilly and all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they are football fans. And so okay. it was cool for me because I only watched NASCAR on TV. I had no idea right. of how uh exciting it was in person. Right. Yeah. So when you get there and you hear those engines and they going by you and you see how fast they're in and out the pits. I'm an adrenaline junkie. So I was like, yeah. you know what? This this it. This is <laughs> right. it, it for me. And so fast forward, um, uh, I got a chance to meet uh, Jesse Awuji, um, mm-hmm. who was one of two black drivers in in all of NASCAR. He was on the K&N series, but I didn't know much about the K&N series. The K&N series is basically like it's called like the D League of the NBA, right? Okay, yeah, I still okay, I'm learning. Yeah, so it's still part of NASCAR, but it's it's the, like the D League of of you know it's the you know one of the lowest classes before you kind of go up. Same yeah. cars, they, they just race on short tracks. Got but it. it's expensive as hell. And so <laughs> right. when I came across and I met Jesse Awuji, I didn't even know that, that I, this one I found out about the NASCAR, the Canon series. I had no idea. So I knew about Bubba Wallace being, I think he was at, uh, Bubba at the time was like an infinity. He wasn't even at the main cup yet, mm-hmm. right? On the main level. And so when he, when Jesse told me that he was looking to make his way in the NASCAR, I was like, you know what? I got a lot of connections. I, I have a lot of friends who are, are business owners, company owners, CEOs, Fortune 500 companies and so forth. So sure. I started to reach out to them first. I said, I said, man, look, we got a, a hell of a, a hell of a guy, a person to play, play Navy in, in, in college, play football. Okay. Right. right, right, and then on top of that, he black and he in NASCAR. I said, <laughs> right, I said what, right. what, "Do I got to explain anything else?" Like, this is a big right. hell of a deal here. And so right. I got a couple of friends. Um, initially, Perfect Hydration uh, came on the water company. Okay. He's a friend of mine, uh, okay. the, the uh, owner and founder there. So we came in and started to started really making our head uh, headway in in the sport. Okay, man, that, you know what? That that's interesting, man, because I just learned a lot from this this short conversation. Because I know nothing about NASCAR, Indy cars, or any of that matter, and it makes me wonder: like, did I not take advantage of a situation when I was in Indy 
they had, you know, there was a moment where they wanted a ton of us to come out. And a lot of guys did take advantage of it. I was on vacation somewhere, but I wish at some point I want to be in that pit. I want to see that. I'm adrenaline junkie to a certain degree as well. I want to see what that's all about. But, uh, yeah, I think that's so fascinating, man. So fast. So I got I got to – I'm going to change gears once more. I got to bring this up because I don't know if we've ever talked about this before. So remember um, winter workouts in Maryland? You remember that. You remember that, yep. right? So there's one incident that stands out to me that I picked up. I picked up your move from this. So there was one incident where, you know, and winter workouts, if, for those who don't know, uh, is, you know, in college, you have to wake up at like four or five in the morning. And basically you're running, doing different drills for over an hour. It's brutal. No one loves it. And for whatever reason, uh, you know, linebackers work out with linebackers, receivers work out receivers, offense, defense, et cetera, et cetera. So this one particular incident, so let me say this. They have these these big gray garbage cans, garbage tins. So, you know, because you're working out so much and depending on what you did the night before, you could throw it all up. So I remember this one incident where, Sean, your ass was over there throwing. It, it, it sounded like you were dry heaving. And I'm like, damn, he's really throwing up. But then you look at you look at me and look at the crew. It was like you start giving us a wink, and I don't know whether you was faking dry heaving or not. But I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, man. <laughs> Yo, right? I tell you what. After that day, me, Will, Choice, Bush, <laughs> we planned to tie you up and just beat you with a bat, bro. Just oh my god. <laughs> Yo. Dude. So, <laughs> look, I, I told you, man, I, I pulled a vet move at an early age. I, I was always thinking ahead. So if I could take a drill off, I, I don't I don't remember if it was at the bed crawls or the mat drills. But I was taking one of those off. And I, I knew that the only way that I was going to be able to stop and take one off, because I did go out the night. I didn't throw up, but I was I was at, at the bar the night before. Right. And right. so. <laughs> I sit over there and I was like, man, I'm not doing these. I'm not doing these uh these mat drills. Man, I'm doing no, no joke, man. Like no, on, that's man, it. Like, those mat drills, man, are, are making contemplate whether you even care about your education anymore. Like, man, this 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 scholarship don't really mean that much to me, right? Because you sitting there, you're this poor tired. And I'm sitting there like, man, look, I, I just want to get to the games. I want to get to the practice, man. All this other, you know, tough man stuff. So I'm right. sitting over there, and I see – the thing is, I see the garbage can, and I really start thinking, like, that's the only way they're going to let me get out of this drill. Oh, so I went man. over there and just – I started arching my back like I was throwing up. Bro, that was legendary, and I looked at bro. y'all and gave you – You gave me the wink, boy. I was so mad. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, I never – I always wanted to bring that up, and I never remember. But, God, dog. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that, that's a good one. That's a classic. That is a classic. Oh, so uh so so on that note, winter workouts. Um, you know, at towards the end, towards the end of winter workouts, you know, Frisian used to have we were in the gym that had the basketball rims. I don't know if you remember. Yep. So at towards the end of if let's say we had 15 winter workouts near like 13 or 14, Frisian decides to have a slam dunk contest. You know, us being us, our little crew of guys we hung out with. Kershaw was like, all right, Will, it's on you, bro. You, you know, Kershaw, for those who don't know, is a buddy of ours we played with in college. He played in the NFL uh, for a handful of years. But he's like six – how tall is Will? Six, six three. three. Six three. But got yeah. bunt just crazy at, from an athletic standpoint. 
So he's up. So we choose him. Every group had a chance to pick who they wanted to represent them in the slam dunk contest. And if you remember, I think it was like late mid nineties, the Sprite commercial of, uh, you know, I think it was like Grant Hill and a spectator looking at him and deciding he could try to dunk. Well, Will, you know, Will has the ball in his hands at this point, and it's his turn. And when I tell you, I still, this was, man, over a decade ago, and I still laugh and bring it up to him when I see him because he, when he took off, I knew it. I should have known that he wasn't ready the way he held his, his hips and was like, all right, I'm ready, I'm ready. But I tell you what, man, when he took off and hit that rim, this man flew at least 10 yards and fell on his ass. Oh, my God. It's one of the best memories I ever had of winter workout. Our legs were done. We had nothing left. Yeah. No, nah, there was bro. nothing left. No, nah, bro. And I don't know why he decided to. We, we, we hyped him up a little bit, but that's my little claim to fame, man. But, uh, man, I, I do. I really appreciate your, your time and perspective, man. I, I only got a few more questions for you, and I'm going to yeah, let yeah, you yeah. go. I know you got a busy schedule. So, so what's next for Sean Merrick? What's next? Like, what do you see your your platform? Because I feel like you have a niche in the what do you how would you explain mixed martial arts, MMA, UFC world? I feel like that's a great niche that you have. You you're encouraging guys from other sports to come join your team. And what do you see this taking off in five years? Or what do you see yourself? Because I know you have a ton of different things that you're working on. Yeah, um, you, you know, for me, I, I feel like you got to build a ground to start from somewhere, right? Um, you mm-hmm. know, even having lights out back in the day, I don't know if you guys, if y'all remember when I was selling selling those uh, fifty cent uh, white the the um, yeah yeah the, the, the tank tops. <laughs> I had the tank tops with the bedazzle light switch on them, right? Oh, so yeah. I think that everything like um, and this was in college, and you know, I had a couple bucks, and I found out I think we're um hobo was doing there making their stuff at so I, I went there i just went and and whatever the little money i had i went right. and bought some some tank tops and i start rocking lights out stuff so i think that um everything starts with 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 the idea and something and my idea is starting off with this thing is you know i'm not really trying to compete with the usc i don't really care what they do i just right one, you know right. One, one thing one thing about lights about like just us being athletes right is we always we're in competition, but we're not worried about what somebody else is doing. Like we know if we go out and do what we do great, we're going to succeed. Right. So that's what I've been focusing on. And we have a niche because we're different. We're creative. And that's where I always looked at. You're going to win at. Right. Um, right, right. So, you know, we we got some big TV stuff coming up. We're going to announce here a streaming, a a streaming partnership where, because, you know, I got, you know, family and, and, and you guys and everybody back home that, that's not able to see the fights because we're, you know, we're in different regions like West Coast mm-hmm. and some of the South and some of the Midwest. But we're not sure. we're a little bit in the Northeast. Uh, but for the most part, you can't watch us nationally, man. And I would like to for that to be shown nationally, international, because I feel right. that this is a international market. Um, so just just growing elite, man, growing lights out because, you know, lights out is a name and, and the company and, and, and something that's going to be around a lot longer than I will be. You know, if people right. are going to be seeing lights out on some buildings or, or some stuff long after I'm gone and probably forgot that I even played football, you know, 20, 30, 50, 40 years ago, however long that is. And that's right. that's my legacy. Um, you know, and I don't I don't really put too much in legacies because legacies are what people think your legacy right. should be. But my my sure. legacy will be for me personally, is somebody who got a nickname, earned a nickname uh, my sophomore year in high school and somehow, some way, kept with it long enough and stayed focused on it long enough to turn it into something much bigger. And from where I come from, where I started from, and and hopefully, you know, I got an 11-year-old son, 
that um, he's going to be able to carry that on one day and and, and do his sure. thing. Sure. That's great, man. And like, you know, you look at COVID and last year, like every it affected everyone differently. Uh, people lost jobs. They lost fr- family and friends. My question to you is how were you able to manage? Because I'm quite I, I can't even put myself in those shoes to see how are you pivoting and managing staying afloat with COVID? Because you're basically managing different fighters and promoting different situations and what have you. How, how challenging was that? It, it was tough, man. Um, I tell you, it was one of the most stressful and depressing times of my life, period, because everything that I've built was shut down, right? And so it's not like we're sitting around and we're some Fortune 500 company or we got some big inst- financial institution behind us. You know, what you see with us is, you know, somebody that's rolling up their sleeves. Um, You know, I, sure. I wake up at 545 in the morning, I get my workout in and I work until I can't work at night. And so when all that is taken away from you overnight, really, in a sense, when when COVID was announced um, and now try to rebound from that, you go now you got to work 10 times as harder to get back on track and get out there. Sure. But if you want to work and willing to put in time in it, man, you're going to be successful. And, and not just in this thing. I'm talking about in anything you do. You, you put the time and effort in it. You care about it enough and you're going to be successful. Yeah, no, I agree with that, man. I, I really do. You know, at some part of the show, you know, and, and, and previous uh guests I've had on, I've always done this uh, quick Q&A called my pick six. I'll ask six questions, rapid fire. You give me an answer. I give you a question, but I'm not going to do that today because there's so much to talk about with you. And, and I promise you, I'm going to get you out of here. I just had a few more uh, questions for you in terms of your working out. You know, like you, you've always been the guy to always, you've never not been in shape, in my opinion. Um, what was it like for you after you had those three seasons in the National Football League when you were dominating. You absolutely dominated. As I said earlier, there was no one in the game that had more sacks than you. How did you deal with the mental side of things those next few years? Because you were riddled with injury. And I remember saying to myself, man, I was like, ah, man, you worked so hard and over – you, you, you've overcome so many obstacles thrown at you in traumatic situations as a young child that you finally get to the, the, that pivotal moment and you, you, you not only kick through it, you blast it through the door and all of a sudden injuries happen. Yeah. You know, uh, I think, you know, me being uh, a guy that dealt with it myself, I knew I became a better person because of it. Do you feel the same way? And I feel like this is actually springboarded you into dealing with a situation like COVID because you've had – many other tough times in your life to yeah. put up against this one. Yeah, that that was at the time. And, and you know, we all, when stuff happened, you always try to figure out why. Like, what's going on? Why, why is this happening, right? Because, you know, I put in so much time, as you said, I've been working. I always worked out for life, man. I just so happened to play football. So it's one of these things <laughs> where I just like to work out. I like to look and feel good, and that's just part of my life. Um, right. But the second part of it is because I did experience all those other things, um, I was prepared. I was prepared to deal with it. Um, And what it also did was is open up my mind because you walk around feeling like Superman, that nothing can happen to you, nothing can, you can't get hurt, and if you get hurt, it's only for a short period of time. You're going to bounce back and everything is going to be okay. But when I I first blew my knee out, had a full reconstruction there, and I thought I was going to be, you know, and I was fine coming from that, and I was compensating coming back and then turn around and tear my Achilles a year and a half, two years later. It was like, okay, now I, I got to start thinking after this thing because right, this right. can be over at any given time. Now, I'm a preparer, man. I, I believe that if you prepare um, for what you got coming up, you're going to succeed. Uh, but a lot of people don't prepare. And I, I was mm-hmm. prepared to retire. 
Um, I was prepared to move on. Uh, and so as long as I keep preparing, man, I'll always be ready for the next step. Yeah, well, I, I don't see how we move on from that. I think we got to end on that note, man. Again, I appreciate your time and your perspective as always. You know, you've been a dear friend of mine for the, from the very beginning. Uh, you know, you, you taught me a lot uh, just by your actions. And, uh, you know, kudos to you. Much success to Lights Out Extreme Fighting League. I uh, hope you nothing but the best. And if I can help, feel free to reach out, man. I'm here for you. So I appreciate, Brother, I appreciate it. You, I appreciate you, man. And uh, good luck, man, with everything. And I'm, I'm finally – I watched you over the last couple of years, even when you were doing stuff at Fox and some of these networks do the, mm -hmm. the commentating thing, man. And you just kept at it, man. So, mm -hmm. you know, good luck with everything, man. Just keep doing your, doing your thing. All right. You got it. Appreciate it. Okay. All That's right, brother. That's a wrap. All right, brother.